Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message to the church on a Sunday service. Today is part seven, um, and I would like to specifically cover the area of the millennial reign of Christ. In fact, I've been thinking before uh, that, uh, you know, I've said before that my feeling is that a lot of these truths are not taught uh, commonly across the board, which is a bit sad. And I'm kind of thinking here that in the area of, uh, you know, the Christian's lives, uh, I just turned to book of Hebrews. And let me just quickly bring this up. And this is not in your outline, but it says, uh, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the foundational importance of repentance from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. And what, how the way I read this is that end times is basic understanding, and then we can move on from there. But you ask the average Christian, uh, and they haven't got much of a clue. They can't put the pieces together. Uh, if you laid all the pieces out in front of them and say, put this in the right order for me, a lot of Christians couldn't do it. So I'm just saying all of that as a preamble before we swing into the word. People say, is this important? Why is this important? Because the Bible says it's important. All right. And it'll help us to have a thorough understanding, to be stronger Christians, and uh, to have some meaningful conversation uh, with family and friends and people that we might work with uh, who are not believers yet, that we let them know what's coming because we've got a fairly uh, good understanding of what's up ahead. So again, here we are uh, at the starting point of this message today. Uh, I would like to speak to you, as I said, about the uh, millennial reign of Christ. Last week, we spoke about the second coming. And I'd like to um, kind of uh, start at the beginning and work our way through it and to get a bit of an overview uh, on uh, what we are uh, looking at in the future. Now, I've left out two major things, um, or one major thing, uh, and that's called the judgment seat of Christ or the beamer or the reward seat of Christ. Uh, we're simply, you know, fighting against time. So we'll come back uh, to that at some point in the future, make the, the teaching all of its own. Um, and uh, by the way, we do teach uh, uh, at least the basics of what we're discussing here over several weeks. We teach those in our foundation courses because we really believe that even new Christians and believers should very quickly understand what's up ahead and what end times will look like. So we're talking about the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial meaning a thousand years. The word mille means a thousand. Millennial reign means the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. And what you and I should understand is that uh, one of the main reasons why Jesus Christ is returning to this earth besides judging and removing the wicked uh, is to set up his literal kingdom on this earth. It is a spiritual kingdom already and has been for the last, you know, like 2,000 years. Uh, um, if you're born again, you're in the spiritual kingdom. But when Jesus returns, he will set up his literal kingdom on this earth. And that's the only kingdom there will be uh, around the world. Um, and we are looking at the book of Revelation chapter 20. And here in verse 1, and again, we got a, a lengthy reading. So by the time I look down and when I look up, I don't want you to have gone home. All right. Uh, I want you to stay here. Here we go. Verse 1. Uh, and I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast uh, or his image, and had not received the mark on the foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead um, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven out of, uh, from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. All right, so here we go. Um, a lengthy reading out of um, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 20, speaking about the thousand-year reign. How long is that reign going to be? A thousand years. Uh, in this very passage right there, is it six or seven times it's mentioned that it's a thousand years. So how can we make any mistakes about that? You'd be amazed how in terms of end-time teaching, the ideas that are floating around and all sorts of uh, spiritualizing of some of that language there. But if God says a thousand years, it'll be a thousand years. All right. So here we see that right at the second coming of Jesus Christ, after the seven-year tribulation, uh, Satan will be bound for a thousand years thrown into the bottomless pit. That's what we spoke about towards the end of the message last week, and that's where we're picking up today. Jesus Christ will then set up his throne in Jerusalem to rule over the whole world. And, uh, you know, when we hear the phrase now, one world government, one world government, and there will be one uh, for a very short period of time, uh, but the real one world government will be Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of Lords and who is the King of Kings. All right. Um, and uh, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and somehow I really prefer if we let the Bible do more speaking than what I do speaking because the word is all there. I mean, the word explains these things to us. I'm just pointing you in the right direction here. Revelation 11, verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of uh, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and they shall reign forever and ever. This announcement, you might remember, this announcement was made in the middle of the seven-year tribulation after three and a half years. Uh, but now we're at the end of the tribulation. We're at the beginning of the thousand-year reign. So it was mentioned, the announcement was made in the middle of the tribulation but it will be enacted at the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ returns. That's when he will physically and literally take charge over the nations of the world. All right. Uh, all the kingdoms. Uh, and it doesn't say democracies of the world because that term didn't exist in the days when John wrote that. You know, they're kingdoms, they're countries, they're nations. Um, and... Uh, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, it says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. Who is the Lord? This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only name. Now remember, at that stage, they've only just come out of the great tribulation where the Antichrist tried to set himself up with his name. But when Jesus comes, do, does away with them, uh, with the Antichrist and the false prophet, then Jesus Christ is the only name, the only supreme uh, leader, uh, worldwide president uh, uh, of over the whole world. So besides the initial conquest that Christ will achieve immediately after his return, you know, we've discussed some of that in the previous session, we talked about, you know, just we talked about taking the Antichrist and the false prophet, throwing them into the lake of fire, defeating all the armies that have gathered against uh, Jerusalem there and then turned against the Lord, done away with all of them. Uh, uh, he will then judge the nations of the world. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, there will still be people left on the earth. And when I look back over some of our previous sessions with everything that's gone on, at one stage, a fourth, a quarter of the world's population done away with and then people dying uh, because of various disasters, uh, uh, people getting saved and getting raptured. It really leaves the earth uh, somewhat depleted uh, compared to what it was uh, when the tribulation began. But yet there's still nations left. So I'd like to speak to you about the judgment of the nations. 
Here and let it be the second point in Matthew 25, verse 31. Uh, and again, a lengthy reading, but let's just stick with it because it's important that we understand these things. Um, Jesus just spoke about, he started speaking about end times in, in Matthew chapter 24, and here's now chapter 25. Uh, we're getting towards the latter stages of his discussion on end times. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. When is that? That's the second coming. All right. Uh, and all his holy, holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Um, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will also answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or uh, a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not minister to you, then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The judgment of the nations. Um, Remember when, was it last week, we talked about that one will be taken, one will be left. Well, that's what that looks like. There will be a gathering up of the nations uh, and a sifting out, a separating, as a shepherd might uh, sift out, you know, sort out uh, the sheep from the goats. Um, and they talk about sheep nations and goat nations. Um, and some of that has to do when Jesus speak about, you know, you haven't done it to the least of these, my brethren. My brethren is actually the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And uh, some of that is uh, to a certain extent to do with uh, how nations have treated uh, the Jewish nation um, and, and how they have lived in a, in a general sense. Now, this is not necessarily going to be a wholesale judgment, one nation over here, one nation over there, but it's an individual judgment. Uh, the people will be sifted out uh, left or right. Uh, those on his left, he will say to him, come, you blessed of the Father, enter into the kingdom. On, on your right, uh, that's right, the ones on his right, that's the sheep, okay? Now I'm speaking with my left hand over here. <laughs> and, uh, and so he says, come, enter into the kingdom. Well, what kingdom is that? That's the millennial reign of Christ. That's now beginning. Come, come into the kingdom. The kingdom's been prepared for you. Um, and uh, it's interesting that Jesus in the Beatitudes said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, meek people will be there, you know, and, and very shortly I'll describe what that looks like. But those on his left side, uh, those who are called the, the, the cursed, um, they will be thrown into everlasting fire. And in brackets in your outline, it says hell. Um, and so the judgment of the nations. Remember that this is not purely based on works. A person does not get saved by works, even though only works are discussed here. That, you know, you visited people, you fed them, you clothed them, you did all of these things, or you didn't do it. It's largely play, uh, based on, on, on uh, and, uh, and a discussion around works. But remember this, that a person can only get, become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And what that looks like is that those righteous people are actually tribulation saints who demonstrated their faith through their good works. But of course, they were not saved by their good works because how many of you know that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us. Um, and uh, conversely, those called the cursed, the golds, are unsaved people who demonstrated their unbelief and rebellion against God through their evil works. So what that looks like is that during the seven-year tribulation, there will be many, many uh, people that get, get born again. Uh, some will be martyred, some will be raptured, but some will be left on the earth, and they will slide on through, if you like, uh, from the end of the tribulation on into the, on into the coming kingdom, on into the millennial reign of Christ. So what that means is that only righteous people will remain on earth when the kingdom begins. All the wicked by now have been removed. Um, and those righteous will also include the Jewish people who will be saved uh, when Paul the apostle said that all Israel will be saved. And of course, when Jesus returns, he will reveal himself to the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, who will be intensely persecuted at that time by the Antichrist. He will reveal himself as their Messiah, as their Savior, and they will recognize him. Now, that said, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a passage uh, of Scripture that says that even from the Jewish people, God will sift out the rebels and do away with them. All right, so it's not so much a whole a national uh, thing that everybody in that nation uh, will be saved or will accept uh, the Lord. Some will and some won't. The rebels will be removed and the saved people will be remaining. Now, here's the deal, uh, friends. You and I, if you're born again today, uh, we will go in the rapture. We will go in the, in the resurrection. We will receive our, our new body and we will be in our glorified state. And we come back with Christ at the second coming. Now, all of these saved people that are still on the earth at that stage, they're still in their natural state. They're still in their mortal body. And they will continue to procreate and repopulate the earth. And... Uh, very shortly, uh, I want to talk to you about, because people have asked a question, they've said, when we come back with Christ and we will rule and reign with him, who are we going to rule and reign over? All of these nations of natural people. In the beginning, they will all be saved, but things being what they are, even with Jesus Christ being on the earth, literally and physically, visual, you know, come these safe people having children, some of them will get saved and some won't. And before you know it, you got a whole world with loads of unsafe people uh, in, you know, loads of unsafe people in it. And uh, in fact, we'll come back to that thought very shortly. But let me read to you from Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. In it says, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So if we can imagine the drastic reduction of the world population by the time that Jesus Christ returns, of people that would have been killed through natural disasters, people that would have been martyred uh, during the tribulation, people that would have got saved and been removed in, in, in another uh, one or two raptures that we see in the, in the tribulation here, right to the end where Jesus will then remove all the wicked, you can imagine that the world population will be trimmed right down. And take note again here when it speaks about at the end of the, of the millennial reign, it speaks about numbers of people as the sand of the sea. And what will happen during the millennial reign of Christ 
there will be a massive increase of the world's population from the beginning of the millennial onwards right through to its end. And when Satan is released, he goes out and once again deceives the nations. Who are they? The nations of natural people who have all come from uh, the first generation of saved people that came into the kingdom, when they began to, you know, still get married and have children and then they grow up and they have children and so forth, and then there will be no death operating during that time. And very shortly we'll describe what the uh, millennial reign will be marked by. It'll be marked by longevity where people will live as long as what they did when Adam and Eve were first there and Enoch and Noah, some of these people that lived up to eight, nine hundred years. In fact, there's a strong indication uh, in Scripture that there will be no death, that people will not die of natural uh, causes. There will be no untimely death. Um, so if there is no deaths and only births, you can see that there's going to be an exponential increase of the population on the earth. And then the Bible says when the devil goes out and once again deceives the nations. You know, I don't want to give no credit to the devil at all. But if there's one thing he does well, it is in deceiving people. But if we know the word of God, he can't deceive us. That's why the word, the truth is so important. If we know the truth, we will recognize a lie when we hear about it or when, we, you know, when it is presented to us. So the devil will go out and the Bible says they will come across the whole breadth of the earth and come against Jerusalem where the government is and that government is Jesus Christ and where the camp of the saints are to once again come in and to try to attack. So we mentioned it before, but in letter C in your outline, the resurrected saints of God will rule over the nations. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and we've read it just before, but let me relook at it. John says, I saw thrones. This is in heaven. And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hand. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So what that means is that you and I, as the born-again believers, who will be raptured at the rapture of the church, we are the resurrected saints. Uh, Old Testament saints have also been resurrected. Uh, we have been resurrected. Then these people that come out of the great tribulation that are also saved and have been resurrected, um, we, will, we will rule over the nations of natural people. And Jesus very clearly tells us that once we are saved and once we are resurrected, he says, we will be like the angels. We're not given in marriage and we will not, you know, in that respect, we will no longer have children, but natural people still do. Now, we are not going to be angels. Now, don't, don't let me confuse you with that. As I say, people like Hollywood, when people die, they become angels. No, we will not be angels. We'll be resurrected human beings. But we will be like the angels, uh, Jesus said in that respect, that there will be no marriage amongst resurrected people. Um, there will be no procreation amongst resurrected people. That is reserved for natural people uh, who will be on the earth at that time. And uh, here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will also deny us. So very clearly, the resurrected saints will rule and reign with Christ. And this is where in terms of our rulership, in terms of the authority that will be given to us or the level of it and the level of involvement and the level of, of, uh, of power bestowed upon us in that kingdom and the level of honor bestowed to us is dependent on how you and I conduct ourselves in this life and serve God faithfully. And this is where a lot of Christians don't understand this. 
And that's why we're coming back. We're going to make a whole separate teaching around the judgment seat of Christ and what that looks like. And uh, some of you will remember when Jesus taught again on the end times in Luke chapter 19, he spoke about the parable of the meanness. And he says, you know, when somebody has been faithful uh, with the meanness that they've been given, which is a, a, a value of money, um, he says, come Enter into the joy of the Lord, have authority over five cities. Come and enter the joy of your Lord, have authority over ten cities. Come and enter into the joy of the Lord, have authority over two cities. Because Jesus Christ will not rule by himself, we will rule and reign with him. Um, and so let me just uh, give you some thoughts around the whole area of uh, what the dispensation of the millennium will be marked by. And the first thing that first point that I would like to make, and it is in your outline, there will be universal peace. Universal peace. Why is that so? Because Satan and demon spirits abound and they're locked up. And so there will be no war in the heavens. There's no demons to fight in the heavens. There's no fallen angels to deal with. They're all been done away with. So universal peace, peace on the earth. Now, the natural human people will still have rebellion in their heart, and that'll come out when the devil goes forth to deceive the nations. Then their rebellion rises up, and then they say, let's all go to Jerusalem and let's do away with this Jesus who has been ruling us with a rod of iron for the last thousand years. All right, so there's still rebellion there. But as we've just said, the Bible tells us that Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So it'll not be democracy. It'll not be ruled by majority. It'll be a theocracy um, where, you know, Jesus will rule as king, as God, um, and he will be under the, 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 the headship of God the Father, um, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, to keep and to suppress evil that's still there. Now, sometimes people have said when we get into, into the millennium, it'll be in its perfect state. I will call it semi-perfect because sin and rebellion is still in the heart of many natural people who then don't get saved throughout that period, uh, who don't get born again. So universal peace, and of course, uh, the prince of peace, will rule and reign. It's interesting, but, you know, we got various attempts for one world government going on. We got the United Nations, and we got the peacekeepers. And prior to the United Nations, we had the League of Nations. And that was another waste of time because the League of Nations was formed under you know, after the First World War, they said, we need to all come together here and so that we will have no more wars. And then comes the Second World War. And some 50 million people got killed in the Second World War. They said, oh, that's not working. Let's try the United Nations. Let's, let's do that, and then let's have peacekeeping. You know what? It's from, from where I sit, uh, and I haven't studied this, and I'm, I'm not highly educated in, in this area, but I'm saying a lot of it seems to me quite a waste of time because they can't stop these rogue uh, dictators around the world. They can't stop those warlords. They can't stop anything. It's just, it's just all they're going through the motion. And then we got uh, moves underway right now where people are saying, look, let's all be kind to one another. And you know, that's lovely to say that. And they say, let's all be at peace with one another. Well, well, it's all very well to say that. And people really think in utopia when they think, look, we will all one day, we will all just love each other. Well, let's just dialogue. Let's just Let's just talk around this thing. Let's not have wars. Let's not have fight anymore. But the Bible says war is in the heart of man. War is inside the heart of man. And while you got people on the earth that got war on the inside, there will be war on the outside. And there will not be true peace until the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his government and then rules with a firm, with a strong hand, a rod of iron is indicative of it'll not be like a walk in the park. Uh, people step out of line and uh, they will get it in the neck, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So ruling with a firm hand and we will rule and reign with him. So there is this uh, universal peace that will go on. As I say, uh, we will call it a semi-perfect 
environment. Perfection will not come until after the millennial reign of Christ, until after Satan is released and until after he's dealt with um, and finally thrown into the lake of fire. Then we're entering the perfect, uninterrupted, uh, eternal state. But in the meantime, this is as good as it gets. And let me tell you, it will be wonderful in the millennial reign of Christ. Like the world, we will not recognize the place. Um, it'll be absolutely, absolutely fantastic. There will be worldwide harmony. And when we talk about peace and harmony, uh, let me just read to you from Isaiah chapter 11, if I can only find that quickly. Isaiah 11, and that is not in your outline, but I feel that you just touch on that. Um, it says in chapter 11, verse 5, it speaks about Jesus Christ when he will rule on this earth. Righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a young child will lead them. So you get the idea here. In fact, we carry on. It says the cow and the bear will graze together. You know, two things, two, three things that were previously at each other's throats, so to speak, or one against the other, that'll all be gone. And uh, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. You know, that gives an indication when we see that in the world in, 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 in a semi-perfect state. That gives an indication what the world was like when God created it before the fall of man, before sin came in and before the devil came in. It's not only affected the heart of human beings, but I believe it, it affected creation in a major way all the stuff that goes on, all the cruelty that we see even in the animal world. And if you think, wow, God, did you create it like that? Probably not. But it all got affected at the fall of man when Satan came in. As I said, it not only affected the heart of uh, human beings, reduced their, 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 their longevity down by mega uh, and, and uh, affected even the animal world because the animal world here will be so different to the animal world that we see today that you imagine you got uh, the cow and the bear, the lion will eat straw. And in fact, let me just back up here, verse six. The wolf lie down with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a young child will lead them. And the young child will not, be, not have to be afraid of getting attacked by animals because it will not happen like that. So you can see that the world will look vastly different to what it looks like today. Verse 8, a nursing child shall, shall play by the cobra's hole, and the winged child shall put his, put his hand in the viper's den. In other words, not even snakes will bite. So not, none, none of what we see today will go on during that time. And they shall not hurt, verse 9, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You think about this. It'll be a vastly different place to what we see today, with all that goes on today, the cruelty in the animal world, the cruelty among people, the, cruel, the cruelty even among, among families, feuds that are fought, nations that are each, it is, it is at each other's throat. Um, my mouth nearly wasn't working. It'll come right in a moment. <laughs> One of the signs in the end times is that Nation will rise up against nation. In fact, uh, Matthew 24, ethnos against ethnos. Oh, God, don't we have a lot of ethnic trouble today? You know, a lot of ethnic issues that have reared their head. Uh, all of that will be done away with. 
There will be no racism. There will be none of this. It will not be allowed. There will be laws, and Jesus Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So universal peace, number one, universal harmony. There will be worldwide prosperity. And prosperity at a level that would have been seen before the fall of man when Adam and Eve were in the garden and everything was there. There was no shortage. There was no poverty. There was no famine. There was not you know, like a lot of what exists today. You'd even wonder a lot of the deserts that we have today. Some of them would just be the result of, uh, you know, of spiritual influence uh, and then mismanagement and just stuff going on that should not be going on. So there will be worldwide prosperity. Interesting. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, in fact, there is a lengthy uh, chapter there that speaks about those days. Um, in fact, end times is not just in the book of Revelation, as we have said. You know, it's spread throughout the Old Testament, spread through the Gospels, on into the uh, letters that Paul wrote to the churches, and then on into the book of Revelation. There will be prosperity. Um, in fact, let me do turn to Zechariah 14, verse 16. And again, it's not in the outline, but let me just read it to you. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, there shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So what that means is that of all the natural people that are left, year after year they will go up to the Jewish feast time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of uh, three major feasts where people came together from all around Jerusalem to worship God and to celebrate. Well, that now they're coming together from all around the world um, to celebrate this feast and to worship the king. And it shall be that whosoever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And Frank, there's a little message embedded in here. As Christians, we ought to be worshipers. Because on these people, if they don't worship during that time, there will be no rain. And this is in the natural, which means no rain, there will be famine, there will be problems. You look over some Christians' lives and there's famine there. There's no rain, and I don't mean natural rain, that's just not the... See, let's be worshipers so we enjoy the fullness of everything that God has for us. If the families of Egypt, verse 18, will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain, and they shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's why we call this situation a semi-perfect state. It'll be wonderful, but there's still plagues there. There's still going to be famine because the rebellion in man's heart causes them to resist God, causes them to resist the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and they don't want to worship him. Receive the plague. Verse 19, this shall be the judgment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And then he goes on to speak about that. So what that tells us, friend, uh, is that uh, the millennial reign of Christ will be marked with all of those things that we've listed there just before, universal peace, worldwide harmony, worldwide prosperity. But that prosperity is dependent on the peoples and the nation worshiping God. In fact, in another portion, it speaks about that, that the glory of the Lord will be seen throughout the world. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be known throughout the world. And God says that there, it'll be like, I will answer before they ask me. How many of you know that you and I sometimes we pray and then things take a bit longer than what we think they should and it's what's the struggle, what's the hold up and everything else? The days are coming during the millennial reign of Christ. Before you even pray, God's already answered your prayer and things are already there. It's like it'll just be like it'll just be absolutely, absolutely wonderful. That annual pilgrimage 
to Jerusalem um, to worship the King of uh, King Jesus. Um, we've just read that before. Uh, that'll happen annually uh, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and it'll just be, there'll be a migration of people. You know, if you think that when the nation of Israel came together for the feasts in Jerusalem uh, during the Old Testament times, there was loads of people on the move. Well, now we got, we got the world on the move, all converging on Jerusalem, and they will all somehow be accommodated. They'll just be, there's just somehow an accommodation, and uh, it'll just be absolutely marvelous. Shortage will not exist. Jesus will know how to deal with all of that and uh, will have an, not just a, uh, a plan for rulership, he'll have an economic plan. He will have an environmental plan. You know, people are saying, oh, it's too late. We're ruining the earth. No, no, no. It'll have to last us for at least another thousand years. Okay, so, so it'll just, you know, there'll just be answers to the world's problems. There'll be wisdom there that people haven't even thought of at this stage in terms of the cause the earth to bring forth and uh, such prosperity and such peace and such uh, longevity as has not been known except for the brief days uh, with Adam and Eve uh, before the fall of man occurred. Longevity, Isaiah chapter 5 speaks about that. The Bible says that a uh, a man of 100 years old during those days, we're talking longevity, a man of 100 years old will be, will, will be considered a youth. Okay. Somebody makes it to 100 now and wow, you know, wow, that's great old age. No, it'll be considered a youth. Um, and longevity, as I said before, uh, will be restored to how it was before the fall of man. And uh, there is strong indication that death will not even operate during that time in terms of people not, not dying prematurely, not dying early, not having, you know, uh, you know, just, yeah, it'll just be longevity uh, at a level that'll be quite, uh, quite uh, fantastic. So with all of that, we come to the end of the millennial reign of Christ, this whole period, and there's so much more in the word that we could expound on and bring in, you know, detail from the Old Testament and from the book of Revelation. But as I say, you know, time is, uh, is uh, working against us. But let me say this, that Satan will go out to deceive the nations again. And um, at this stage now, you could like to almost call it the second Armageddon. That's not uh, a term that we would, uh, sort of a biblically correct term as much, but we would call it the second Armageddon because the Bible speaks about certain battles in the Old Testament that will be fought, and some of those could be referenced to the first Armageddon. Some of them could be referenced to that second battle that will take place as they come against. And when I said the battle is virtually a non-issue because fire will come down from heaven and devour everybody and then, uh, then there will be judgment, and uh, it'll be called the great white throne judgment. Friend, with all of that going on before our very eyes in the word of God, as I said before, we've got elections coming up in this country, um, month of September, is it? They've got elections going on in the United States. You can be certain if the devil will deceive the nations to turn against God's chosen who is in this instance the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be sure that nations are deceived right now when they go to the bowl to kind of try to do away with uh, those who might be God's chosen for that particular hour, for that particular uh, term. It's just there is just incredible deception amongst the nations even now. And that's why I said before, we don't want to give the devil no credit, but if there's one thing that he does well, it is to deceive people and to deceive the nations. What we will do, and this is uh, just a little uh, advance notice, uh, we will give a political talk before our general elections uh, because I feel strongly that there is a mandate for ministers of the gospel to teach God's people what God is looking for when it comes to our opportunity to cast a righteous vote. All right, so we will look at that. Uh, and for those of you that have been in this house for many years, you remember that every three years, that's what we do. Uh, because we feel that if people are left to, to themselves and if there's silence in the pulpit, 
there will be deception in the pews when it comes to political issues. That's just how it is. That is a general statement. There's some people that are very, very sharp. They're very much in the spirit, but the majority, I dare say, uh, would have some sort of a misunderstanding about what God requires from them. So we'll get into that. So now we come to the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Satan's gone out, and the Bible says he will be released for a short while, a short time. And in a short time, he manages to stir up the nations, deceive them, so they come against Jerusalem, against the camp of God, and actually uh, against the Lord Jesus Christ. Then fire will come down from heaven and devour them all. Um, and uh, of course, uh, at that stage, hell is still there. Hell is still operating. Those people that will be killed, the unrighteous, they will, you know, gone as soon as their bodies unfit for them to dwell in, burned up, their, their souls will be in hell. All right. And now we're moving on to the great white throne judgment. Because at the end of the millennium, fire comes down from heaven, deals with that rebellious lot. They're now gone. Satan will now be thrown into the lake of fire where the Bible says the false prophet and the Antichrist have been for the last thousand years. Remember, they're caught at the beginning, at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennium. They're already in there. Now Satan is in there uh, as well, and that's his final end. There's no more moving. There's no more coming out. There's no back door out of the lake of fire. It's just, you know, they'll be tormented, the Bible says, forever and ever. So, at that moment, John speaks about in the book of Revelation, he saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and judgment was committed to him. And at that stage, all the unrighteous dead will be resurrected. Hell will be emptied out and they will all stand before the Lord. The Bible says the books are opened and they will each be judged according to their works. And everybody there whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will then be judged and also thrown into the lake of fire. Hell and death will be thrown into the lake of fire. So somehow there's those two places. Hell is just a holding tank, a place of torment, we might say, but a holding tank until time is up and everything is finished. And then everybody that's unrighteous will be also thrown into the lake of fire. Death will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, all the unrighteous soul. And when I first looked at this and I thought, gosh, you know, it's like, why, do they, why will they be brought before the Lord again for a, a second judgment or for, for that great white throne judgment? My sense is that uh, careful search will be made because once the judgment is meted out, there is no more changing. The books will be searched and whoever's name was not found in the Lamb's book of life, which actually is nobody there because heaven makes no mistakes. They will all have their final appearance before the Lord. They will be resurrected, um, which is interesting because the Bible calls this the second resurrection. Remember earlier on we read, the blessed are those who are part in the first resurrection because over them... The second death has no power. So this is now the second resurrection, and they will all experience the second death, which is eternal removal from the presence of God and suffering in the lake of fire. Second resurrection, second death. And of course, everybody at that stage uh, that would have been resurrected, they've already died once. This is the first death. It's just natural death, but there is a second death coming and that is utter removal from the presence of God. At that point, all the rebels have been dealt with. And there is now only righteous people on the earth, and the Bible speaks about a new heaven and a new earth. 
And without wanting to get into the details uh, of that, uh, there is a strong suggestion that the existing earth, it's not going to be done away with. It'll be renewed. It'll be a renewal. The Bible says that there will be intense fire and the new earth will not have any oceans. The new earth will be quite different. And the new heaven, when they speak about heaven, Bible scholars tell us that that speaks about the heavenlies, which is the atmosphere around us. It'll all experience intense heat and intense fire and will thus be renewed. And again, it'll look quite different uh, to what we have experienced today. Then the new Jerusalem will come out of heaven from God and it'll come down onto the earth. The new Jerusalem will be the permanent seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by that stage, uh, God the Father will come down and all the saints around the world, all the saints around that area there, we will serve God and we will worship God throughout eternity. Get used to worship. There will be a lot of worship going on. Get used to serving God. We will serve God throughout that uh, eternity. We will then enter into what we call the uninterrupted eternal state. There'll be no more devil. There will not be another uprising against God. There will be no more, there will be no more, you know, uh, it'll all be dealt with. It'll all be behind us. Human history, as we know it, has finished. We're now entering into eternity uh, to experience eternal bliss and happiness and joy and peace and love. There'll be no more rebellion. There'll be no more hatred. There'll be no more strife. There'll be no more quarrels. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more disease. It'll just be absolutely marvelous. And so at this stage, we've come to the end of our study together. I know I've sort of just bounced around a bit today and given you some of the headlines at the latter end to say this is our last message on this series. Uh, we will come back and speak about the judgment seat of Christ at another setting at another, situa uh, another setting, another time. And um, yeah, let's just worship God right now. Um, worship team are coming. We've got a few minutes left. Um, just a bit later on, just feel free to, you know, go and collect your children from children's church. But, uh, you know, the, the book of Revelation, amongst other things, it's also a book of worship. There is amazing worship sessions going on. But people enter into God's presence and worship Him where people are abandoned before the Lord and just give it their all. They're not holding back. They're not concerned what they look like. They're not concerned about what their neighbor thinks in terms of, you know, sometimes people things that people are wrestling with in worship sessions today. Let's just abandon ourselves before the Lord right now. If you've never lifted up your hands in the presence of God, do it today. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.